podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Anfield Rap, Neil Atkinson, Glenn Price and Gareth Roberts. We're going to be going through your transfer-based issues and your squad-based issues also to come. Uh, I've got your squad-based issues, your transfer-based issues. What do I sound like? Also to come, uh, we've got an interview with uh, Rosanna Allen Khan as well about Labour Party policy around safe standing and rail seating. But this is the Anfield Rap and it is supported by Red's Bet uh, throughout the entirety of 2018. I do want to point out that right now there is a fantasy league competition uh, on the Red's Bet website where you can win £25,000 to £25,000. It is free to enter. So if you've got the opportunity to do so, please go over to redsbet.com to enter their fantasy league around the uh, around the World Cup uh, and you can win £25,000 or a share of £25,000 in a prize pool there. That's all on there for you. But we are going to start with the big story here today before we get over to Rosena. We're going to start and we're going to be talking about Nabil Fakir and where this leads Liverpool, leaves Liverpool. Glenn Price, it was all a bit chaotic Friday, uh, Thursday evening, Friday, Saturday morning even on this one and even now because of the nature of football the full story may never be told even if he ends up being a Liverpool player it does seem as though something somewhere made Liverpool either think twice for now think twice permanently or think twice in a right this can hang on now until after the World Cup sort of sense Um, what's your instinct from everything that you've heard yeah it's not the nicest of transfers to have covered to be honest probably one of the worst I've done in my (laughs) short career and it probably might not even be over but I think in terms of that we never might find out the true story comes down to the fact that it's to do with someone's medical you know um, conditions which you know obviously are confidential in, in certain in certain cases so that's you know why some things will go will ne- will never really know the true story of um yeah i i just think it's when you're involved in a big money transfer like this any what uh, i say when the fee gets as, to, as big as the fee gets the more they have to look into potential risks with a player or whatever it's why they do so much research on background about you know the personality of a player what what he's like off the pitch and all that um so they'll also do that with you know just how good he is, and then other, otherwise his body and how what he's like physically. Um, and there's been I think it's it's three injuries with his knee, isn't it? That um, that he's had in the past. Obviously a really serious one that forced him to miss quite some time. Um, and the suggestions have been that um, that you know Liverpool were concerned concerned about this knee so much so that they were willing to you know. You know pull out of a deal that was you know going to reach 60 million euros which is a lot of money so they've obviously assessed the risk and it, it won't be a decision taken lightly and I'm sure I know I think there were suggestions that there was you know seconds opinions so I reckon it's probably going you know third fourth maybe even five opinions so just because you know he, he, he would have been an important player for Liverpool this season um obviously the Coutinho replacement is someone that Liverpool really do need and it would have been a, a very much worthwhile addition but uh, I just think it's, it's it's part of Liverpool you know having clued, clued up thinking in terms of the transfer strategy now I think I, th- I think it was I think Mel reported like last year that you know when Andy Robertson signed I think it was Edison Palmieri is it from, who plays for Chelsea now he did his ACL um before before you know Liverpool were interested in him, and then he got an injury on the final day of the season. Liverpool just moved on to Andy Robertson, and that's you know one example of Liverpool just you know having a clear strategy about the transfers this summer. It's not scattergun. It's not like it was with Loic Remy, where there was literally no alternative after that. Um, I just think Liverpool, and especially when it's early, it helps. So you know, if it is the case to do with the knee, then you know Liverpool will 
Liverpool will sort of have a strategy in place and it's just, you know, moving on, moving on now. Do you think do you think this is an example of Liverpool being sensible? Do you think it's an example of Liverpool being risk averse? Both of those things the same thing, Gareth, is it is worth pointing out the amount of money isn't just the transfer fee, it's also the contract. Uh, yep. you know, it's worth pointing that out. I to me it seems like to me, it seems like this can be looked at right now as sensible. It's what it's a bit like getting a it's a bit like getting a one-all draw at home against Chelsea. It's whether or not you win the next game. A little bit is is a little bit in there as to how you sort of view the results. If you see what I mean, I, th- I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously, the, you know, as Glenn's um, said there, there's there's a bit of a knowledge void on on what it actually you know what actually is the information that's that, that's made them go no, that's it. And that there's various speculation going around on you know social media and the usual places, and you don't know whether people are informed or not. So I, I always presume not, to be honest, these days. Um, and so we don't know what was the level of risk that was there. I mean, yeah. we know we know that there have been players in the past, um, like, you know, I remember Man United weren't sure about Ruud van Nistelrooy and things like that. Um, you know, there, there's been players like that where they've it, it's felt like the manager's gone, no, let's take the risk. Let's take the risk regardless. And then let's see if it pays off. Um it seems it seems that like we, that my point is that we'll never know though what level of risk that was for this player. What where it is disappointing, obviously, is that you know we were so geared up for it, everyone, uh, probably including the manager and and the coaches around them, and he obviously ident- identified him as a key man. Phil Coutinho replacement, as Glenn says. Um, we'd all sat down and watched the YouTubes and done our research, and we were all happy that we were getting a good player. And I think I think that was interesting in itself in that. You know, there's, there's there's often you know disagreements between fans and experts and pundits and whatever. But on this one, that pretty much roundly all seem to agree we were getting a very good player. And I guess when you're looking at it from the outside, like of course we are, you're like, well, how can he play top level in France? How can he play international football and yet not be equipped to 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 play in the Premier League? So it is disappointing. But I guess I, I guess the plus, and that's not that's probably not the greatest word, but is that. We're still only in June. Um, the World Cup doesn't start till Thursday. I'm not saying they're going to get something done this side of the World Cup now, but it's plenty of time. It's August the 9th, isn't it? I think the transfer, the transfer deadline, right, Glenn? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, plenty of time still to do something. Um, but I guess now you know you, you've put a you've put a huge flag up in the air saying that you want a player like this, although not the biggest secret. Once Coutinho went, that he'd want someone similar to come in. Um, so yeah, it, it is like you say about what happens next. I mean, let let let's still remember that you know we've got two belters in. Uh, we've got we've got that to look forward to if you like that to still get excited about. But I'm sure uh, lots and lots of people won't calm down until there's one or two more. There's the knock there are, well, there are potential knock on effects, Gareth, because I think one of the reasons why people were sort of quite universally in favour of it was, you know, looking at his profile, looking at the sort of player he is, looking at everything that you can see about him. He, he had a lot of the attributes that Klopp seems to like, mm. some of the attributes that we like. 18 goals last season in the league, you know, just to put that in context, and I keep saying it, but because I'm boring, but Timo Werner got 12. And Timo Werner very much plays, tends to do most of his business as a number nine at Leipzig. You know, this lad play, has played off the front, played around and about. Simultaneously, though, he's a creative player. He's got a touch. He carries the ball, Glenn. I'm just sort of looking at this and wondering if there are, there could be quite significant knock on effect for Liverpool's transfer strategy here in that, you know, when you begin to sort of create your fields for search, if you see what I mean, you're knocking a hell of a lot of footballers out mm. before you'd even have the conversation about whether or not they're available for Liverpool at this stage. Yeah, um, I mean, if you look at it, how often do you manage to... I mean, the deal in principle, when it was all agreed, everyone was, was buzzing, weren't they? Because they were getting a, 
French international, a club captain, uh, Leon, 24, a number of positions, scores goals, creates goals. He sounds like the best player in the world, doesn't he? But, um, <laughs> but, it, but it, is, it would be difficult to sort of find... <laughs> I say it would be difficult to find, but not not that many players are there that can. That exactly, there's just not a, that there's profile. just not a load of this yeah. knocking around. Um, but the manager always points out, doesn't he, that you know Liverpool's work in the transfer window it, it's not done just when the window's open. There is thoughts and processes that go on, and and I'm sure they've identified these these sort of players that can fit these bills, and and it, it probably they're probably I, I know it was made when the transfer you know the transfer committee's criticism was at its most, but. When there when there were lists, I'd imagine there still are lists, and I think we've seen that evidenced in you know previous signings, haven't we? But you can say there's lists, Glenn. But what I'm wondering is if whether or not whether or not you're not just going down the list, you're actually now looking at a different list. So yeah, you, I mean, you may be thinking to yourself, well, let's we were looking for this lad, and one of the things we were thinking was, well, he can do number ten stuff, plus he can do a little bit of this. If Liverpool are now going to say, well, let's get another another footballer in who's you know who we're able to 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 back as having quality and tons and tons of pace in wide areas, if you see what I mean, that it might lead, it might actually lead to, and it might necessitate in Liverpool's eyes a shift of direction, not just the idea of he was number one on the list, he was number yeah. two on the list, he was so number three. So it's not three. a fe- it's not Mark too. It, it it's like yeah. a lad. It, it's maybe a, a lad who can deputise for Barbie or it's a it's a lad who you know can step in on the wing or whatever, rather than being this versatile lad who could maybe do a a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying with that. And and also yeah. when you look at the work that Manny does seconds after the season and making himself that more of a creative fulcrum that they might you know you can imagine the club sitting there now going well I was thinking I get Fakir and he might do some stuff like that might do it a little bit better frees Manny up to do more stuff in the in the final third being that explosive player it might now be well I'll stick with but it might be that the second best Fakir in Europe could be Manny if you know mm. what I mean that's available to Liverpool right now at which point the same well let's get another one of that and I just wouldn't that's what I think might be going on now I don't think it's as easy as Liverpool will just have a list and go well who's number two mm. and, and who's number three yeah, because lots of people are doing that, aren't they? In terms of just you know some summer content, if you like, saying what 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 so are the like summer content? Off oh, there's, there's nothing wrong with summer content, <laughs> but yeah, there's plenty of summer content saying you know what what are the top five uh, replacements for for Kia now that that seems to be off. Um, I mean, I, I think that's the other thing to say, isn't it? That it it definitely feels like it's a hundred percent off now. Where you know there was a little bit of a chat over the weekend, the team where it was like. Would there be, could there be a lower price? Could there be a renegotiation? It seems to be 100% nah, done, not happening. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Where do it, we it's go- June, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. football clubs have lied in the past as well. In, well, in and plus, plus as well. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that Liverpool have got even one done at, the, at this stage because this is, this is literally the time of year when footy clubs are just like, you know, like a ghost town. Everyone's off. You know, this is when they take the time off, and you know when you think about pre-season tours and and everything else, pre-season friendlies. This is this is their opportunity to go and get on a beach somewhere. So so the fact that business was getting done at a seemingly you know a rate of knots was actually a little bit of a surprise to me. So maybe it maybe it slows down now, and you know we have to torture us wait till the other side of the World Cup. Um, I'm not sure about how some people's mental states are going to cope around that, <laughs> uh, based on what I'm reading online. Um, some, some, you know, some people have gone from crowning Michael Edwards the other week to wanting them hung now. It seems. Um, I know you want to still from just doing. I just wanted to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's unreasonable. I I wonder if there's the other question marks, Glenn, and, and 
I think it's really important that Liverpool keep the feel-good factor for a variety of reasons. One is that it's the best way to enjoy your football, is that we all feel good about it. But the other reasons are, you know, there's lots and lots to be to be cheerful about, but it does create another variable. Lallana is, for instance, a variable. Oxlade-Chamberlain, when he comes back from injury, is a variable. It is worth pointing out that the manager, in my head sometimes, and I'm, I'm as guilty of it, probably more guilty than other people, like I sort of think, oh, the season stops, and then there's a bit of a gap, then it starts again, and everyone's like, you know, of course Oxlade-Chamberlain will be fifth. What do you mean? Is There's been three weeks, and there's, we've not played a game. Of course, Kite is going to be a success. Of course, Kite is going to come in and hit yeah. the ground running, and all of that. And I just sort of wonder if, you know, he does... There's loads to be cheerful about. There's loads to be optimistic about. But there are still the question marks that are question marks around, for instance, certain players' fitness, suitability. They're all still there. They're all still present, aren't they? You know, this is, it doesn't just get to stop. And I think for the manager, especially, if he is thinking about maybe a different approach, he really would love to know how many games he's going to get out of Adam Lallana next season. He really would love to know, will he have Oxlade-Chamberlain back and will he be hitting the ground come mid-December? And he'll never get to know that at this stage. Yeah, it, it, it's those variables while also trying to improve and push on which so it's it, it's it's really not easy is it um so you, you know you're looking at this this Liverpool squad now that was down to its bare bones while towards the end of the season I know it, I mean I know the, the Premier League was sort of you know went to the final day but Liverpool's you know the, it was pretty confident that Liverpool were going to finish in the top four from you know the turn of the year wasn't it so yeah, yeah, so you were basically dealing with you know one competition and 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 um but that's not Liverpool's aim this summer, is it? Liverpool's aim is do well in the Champions League again. But as you all, you point out quite on a lot of shows recently, you know, get to 90 points and push Manchester City for the title. So you've also got those, the, 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 ling- the lingering problems and you've also got to somehow try and push on in a, in a Premier League that's, you know, competitive and um, the transfer market's competitive and, um, and but there is a feel good factor about Liverpool, and, and that's happening on and off the pitch. And I, th- I think the best thing about the Fabinho signing was that people were call- calling it, you know, a PR stunt and a PR move after the Champions League f- final. Well, it was a good PR move if, if that's what it was, anyway, because um, everyone was buzzing after it, weren't they? Um, so, um, and but you know, the feel good factor can still continue. Say if Salah, you know, plays in the World Cup, and it doesn't have to be limited to Liverpool. There are games of football that can distract people, but. Um, I'm sure the manager, although I think I saw him picture on a beach fairly recently. I'm sure looks fabulous. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure his phone's still going, and he's, you know, trying to, you know, keep Liverpool going in this in the same direction, just as you know, pretty much everyone else will be. What's what's reasonable around the Lana Gareth? And I'm I'm quite fixated on the Lana. Maybe it's just my own problems, but um, what it is this. We got absolutely nothing out of him mm. last season. Let's be honest, and you know, there's one very good performance at Burnley, which looked like it was very much on adrenaline, and you know, it was, it was the, the, the last game of the Christmas period, and then there was, it was broken up with injuries. There were injuries the season before. I think I'm right in saying there were injuries the season before that. Even in his first season under Brendan Rodgers, he's he's in and out. It does seem to me that you know Liverpool have got this player they've put on a fair amount of money now as well. <laughs> Where it's very difficult for you and I to sort of sit here, haven't watched, haven't watched him insofar as you can for four years. It's quite difficult for us to say, well, it's reasonable to expect twenty-five league starts and eight league goals, nine league goals. We can't, we can't do that, can we? But you get the impression as well, well, we wouldn't. The manager might not want to, and we wouldn't be able to sell him. 
Yeah, he's, he's had a tough time, hasn't he? And I, I always, I always think back to any conversation around Alana when he, when he basically lost his head when he was playing for the for, for the Rezies. I thought that was quite a signal of where he, you know, he's he probably had in, in his head because you know it's worth remembering that the biggest frustration in this is probably in his own head that he hasn't been able to play, that he hasn't been involved, that he hasn't been able to show what he can do. Left out of the the, the squad for the World Cup as well. He didn't make the cut there. So yeah, been really frustrating for him. But I mean, you know, we talk about Fakir and, and about how maybe one of the reasons that the transfer doesn't happen is because of history and injuries and all the rest of it. Well, it doesn't look good for Alana in that respect. And I think I think the manager's got a plan around it accordingly. He clearly likes him and, and and you know, was was praising him early and praising us praising him as being one of the players who got it earliest out of them all. You know, everyone remembers the sort of in falling into the manager's arms at spares away the first game in charge. So, you know, we clearly liked him, as you say, got an improved contract as well. But it is hard to see now how he's regularly in the team, regularly giving you the amount of games that he should be. He's 30 now as well, is that right? So, it's one of them. I'd almost be regarding him if you're looking at your squad and what you're likely to get as a little bit of a bonus, like a bit of a peripheral player. But when you're on loads and loads of money as well, that doesn't sort of add up. I mean, you know, I, I bumped into someone the other day and they were like, well, what? similar questions, if you like, in a way, and that, well, what's happening with storage? They said, and I was like, well, I don't know what's happening with storage. He's like, you, you wouldn't think that can be allowed to go on because, again, of the big slot he's taken wages-wise and his recent injury record. And you, you I had a lovely can... daydream the other day where storage becomes Fakir. Like a little, I was on a train, and honestly, you know that sort of when I went to well, what maybe maybe if he brings Sturridge in and plays him at the peak of the midfield, and Sturridge is just using his brain and coming around the pitch, and then before you know where you are, he's arriving in the box and he gets nine in the first ten. And I honestly, I had this lovely five minute daydream, and then crushing reality hit me of no Do you remember way. The, the Sturridge number ten hype that was that was that was what was sort of what was in yeah. my head was not yeah. quite not even quite number ten like he goes a few yards further back even he's just running the show. It was it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds nice. It sounds lovely. <laughs> uh, and you know, the, the highlights reel for, for Sturridge at Liverpool is still a decent one. It's just a shame that it's so regularly punctuated by injury. And I think the the West Brom experiment was a was a big shame for him. But you just can't see him being another, involved next season. He's another one as well. And I guess it's one of them. I've um, I'm. I'm talking myself onto a ledge here, I think, on this show because I started off before <laughs> thinking we've got loads of time left, August the 9th, and now I'm like, hang on, this World Cup's going to get in the way, isn't it? And it's we've, got lo- we've got loads of stuff to do here. <laughs> what are they all up to? Get off the beach. <laughs> let's get Jürgen off the beach. Listen, we talked to Rosanna Allen Khan earlier on. Uh, let's get over and let's have that chat. It's a pleasure to be joined by Rosanna Allen Khan, uh, the Shadow Sports Minister, um, who last week announced that Labour Party policy moving forward will be to support uh, the introduction of um, safe standing areas in football grounds up and down the country, uh, which is quite a reversal from general sort of political policy across the last couple of weeks. She's joined us now, uh, and we're going to talk about this now. Those of you who've been listening to the Anfield Rap for a while, I've got Gareth Roberts and Glenn with me, will know uh, that basically we're in favour of uh, rail seating uh, to be introduced at football grounds and up and down the country. And especially we'd like to see it at Anfield. We've not pulled our punches on that matter now for about six months. Uh, So we're having the conversation from that point of view. We're not going to do some sort of adversarial interview where we're acting like, well, we're going to absolutely stress test all of this. We're just going to speak as ourselves. 
Rosanna, then, uh, if you want to get to the crux of what it was that was announced on Friday moving forward, the way in which the Labour Party uh, has collectively decided, uh, fronted by you on this issue, to move forward with, re- with reference to people being able to stand at football matches. Hi, yeah, thanks very much. And firstly, it's absolutely brilliant to be on the Anfield. I'm such a big fan, and as you guys know, a Liverpool supporter, so thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I basically... What, what the Liberal Party is saying is that they're coming out in favour of the introduction of safe standing because we believe that it's time to take these decisions out of Whitehall and devolve it down to the local clubs because local clubs know their stadia, their, their safety authorities, know the grounds and the fans want the opportunity to stand. The current model where people are persistently standing in all seats of stadia isn't working and it's actually very difficult to police. In fact, it's impossible to police. And the the Safety Ground Standards Authority said that they are not able to police it, which means you do see people at high risk of having accidents. And then you see, also see people who um, want to sit down but feel forced to stand because they can't see in front of them. And this affects people with young families, people who are older, people who are disabled. So the Labour Party is saying, is it possible to look locally on a case-by-case basis at each individual club to see if there's an area, a small area of the stadium, where there can be designated for safe standing. That could be in the form of rail seating or it could be in the form of modified seating that's already there. Um, But looking at basically devolving the powers out of Westminster and down to the clubs themselves. Hiya, Rosanna. It's Gareth. Um, I I just wanted to ask about the the last bit you said there, really, about... I mean, I think everyone's heard the, the story of, of rail seating now for quite a while. And, you know, what one of the yeah. things one of the things when we've talked about it on the Anfield Wrap about the current situation is, you know, the cop and, and many other famous football ends up and down the country, they're standing at times for 90 minutes in seated areas, which, you know, from our experience and from friends' experiences and everything else, you know, is unsafe because people can fall over those seats in front here. You know, you've got the sort of... Exactly the back of the, the the seat in front of you at shin height and when everyone's celebrating goals which of course yeah. we all love to do it's very easy to go flying over them so i just wondered why there was the bit in when when labor come out in support really there was the bit about you know we would allow the installation of rail seating where appropriate or standing in current seated areas where it can be made to, safe to do so could you clarify around that a little bit for us yeah of course so as you know, um, you know, and, and you guys were, were part of it, which I'm so grateful for, um, but there, I, I had an extensive consultation process where I spoke to um, over 50 different supporters' trusts and looked at, looked at all the options. Obviously, railed seating is the preferable option. It's, it's the gold standard for safety as far as I'm concerned. However, a lot of fans said that they were concerned that clubs would find the installation of that seating prohibitively expensive, that they actually wouldn't be able to afford to install it. And to look at other options where there could be a bar or something else that is um, improving the current seated situation, but not as expensive as, as a rail seating area. Now, to be very clear, nothing would be put in place that wasn't deemed to be 100% safe and effective. But what we are saying is that we're not, we're not advocating people to stand in current seated areas and say just that's okay. Like we're not saying that they can stand in lower seated areas, so like not 
not like the steep part of the of the stadium. We're not saying that you can stand in the lower bits. We're saying you can stand in a part that is deemed safe with rail seating or if other modifications are applied that make it safe. Um, because yeah, we want we want seating to be open to all clubs and not to be sorry we want we, we want standing to be open to all clubs if they want it and not not them precluded from being able to do it because they can't afford expensive rail seating i mean i get that then so so what, what you're saying is you're not leaving it as is so you're not you're not saying you're not saying the standing we currently see that's okay if a club deems it to be because i think i think how people maybe misinterpret what what was said is that they might look at it and say you know, is is this yeah. is this is this a, a shadow sports minister saying that you know it's okay to stand if a club says it's okay to stand? Because I think there would be some concern from some people about you know putting that power into just a club's hands. So you know, you're very certain that that isn't the case. No, I'm very certain that isn't the case because this the whole point of this is about safety. Yeah, the whole crux of this change in policy is about safety. It's about saying that the current model just isn't working. I mean, we, we've all seen the videos. We've all been at matches where, yeah. you know, you've, you've, you've seen seats that are literally bent apart from people standing up in a moment of excitement. And you guys will know about this petition that was started by a 17-year-old chap called Owen, who start, which, which gained over 112,000 signatures and sparked the debate that we're going to have in Westminster. That was started because he was injured while standing. He's a fan that wants to stand and he got injured. Um, but what we are saying is that, look, the installation of railed seating is ideal, but not every club at this point can afford that. So where they can't afford that, let's look at other methods to make the seated areas in the small portions of the stadium where safe standing is permitted. Let's look at ways to make that more affordable while still being just as safe. And it's probably worth saying as well that, you know, if we look at the at the Shrewsbury Town model, you know, they probably, the club probably could have said at the time, well, we can't afford this, but actually their section there that they've now opened it was crowdfunded. So, you know, that I guess that could be an option for some clubs that are maybe further down the absolutely. pyramid who, yeah, who, who don't have the money that a Premier League club would have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, this, this what's exciting about this is it's, it's down to the individual club. It's not saying a one-size-fits-all model. It's a case-by-case basis, you know? Mm. And, it's, it's, it's also about saying, look, if a local club, with together with their fans and their, and their safety authority, doesn't deem it safe, doesn't decide that there's any section of of the stadium which is safe to stand, then they don't need to roll it out. But it's about saying, let's let's take the decision out of politics and devolve it down locally to the clubs that know their stadiums better than anyone else in Whitehall. I think it's really fair to take you know to take that out of out of politics, Rosanna. But what I would say is, and this is this is what always strikes me when we get stuck into this debate, is that we're we are in a situation there. For instance, you're talking about whether or not clubs can afford it, and whether or not you know, or whether or not things need to be crowdfunded. But you know, isn't this just sort of part of one aspect of the fact that we're still living with a football settlement that sort of st- ends in 1992, is reflected with the act in 1985 in terms of drinking inside to the pitch, the knock-on effect of the yeah. Taylor Report, that there's been nothing since and that this is standing and we, we, we fo- standing to become the thing that everyone fixates on. But that basically the entirety of what we call the national game, from grassroots football, from women's football, from inclusion, that all of these issues need to be looked at and standing is just one part of this. Yeah, entirely. I mean, I think I think football fans that I've spoken to feel like they get a bit of a rough deal as well because 
in the very same stadium, you're allowed to stand at a pop concert. You're allowed to stand at a rugby match. And then the very same week, you can go to a football match and you're forced to sit down. That, that, that's not right. I really don't believe that's right. And that's what fans up and down the country have been saying to me. They just, wanted to, they just want to be treated as equals. But fundamentally, what, what the Labour Party is saying is safety one priority. This has all been born out of safety. This is about saying instead of having a stadium where you know 95% of people aren't fully enjoying the match, either because they want to stand and can't, or because they want to sit but can't see, you know, because someone's standing in front of them, why don't we have a small portion of the stadium that's made safe for people to stand and everybody else that wants to sit and enjoy the game can sit and enjoy the game? It was really interesting, actually, at the round table. I know the Gareth was there. And the round table that we had last week in, in Westminster. Some of the most vocal people speaking out about this, you know, coming out in favour of safe standing, were people who want to sit because they feel that they've been season ticket holders their whole lives. They used to be the ones that wanted to stand and jump up and down. Now they're, now they're the more elderly members of the football-going community who want to sit down and enjoy the game. And, and they are advocates of safe standing because they want to be able to sit and see and enjoy it just as much as they used to. Last, well, last little bit from me on this is you, you, you mentioned the consultation that you've done. Um, yeah. And it's been an extensive consultation. There was the round table the other week. You came to our offices. We had a conversation. Uh, you've been to see a number of different people for over a long, long period of time. Um, yeah. Is the, the government's current solution uh, involves them starting their own consultation seemingly from scratch? Is, is, that a, is that something which you're looking at and thinking, well, firstly, that, that, that there's no point to that at this stage, that the, 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 the evidence that needs to be out there is out there? Or are you thinking, well, you know, that, that consultation, if it's going to happen, needs to happen with a time frame? Because one of the things on this is that I don't think anyone who's involved in this wants to see this sort of knocked away for a period of time and then everyone's sort of going, we're two years down the line, what's happening? Are you, are you going to put pressure on the government in order to put a time frame on this or are you even just going to simply oppose it completely on the 25th? I think they need to get get on with it, is my opinion, because, look, we've got the spirit of Shankly survey, we have got Arsenal. I mean, we have we have surveys been done up and down the country from local clubs. People have been sending them to me. Um, I've, I've met with the sports, sports ground safety authorities. Um, the EFL has done a survey. You know, the English Football League has done a survey. I've had my survey filled in. I think the evidence is there. I think the government needs to get on with it now, in, in all honesty. Oh, I, I Look, for me, this isn't about political point scoring if the government want to work with me on this want to take the data that i've got and you know we can work cross party to deliver the end result that is brilliant that is what i'd love to see but in the absence of that i'm also as a shadow minister of sport not going to stand by while they take their time on this the fans have spoken safety authorities have spoken and i think it's really really important that they that they take into account the results of the round table that we had there's been extensive surveys. They can carry out as many surveys as they like. They're still going to come out with the same result because I can't see how everything that's, that's been conducted so far is suddenly going to change. Also, let's be very clear, right? 12 hours after my very own announcement, the pressure was so great that, that Richard Scudamore came out and said it himself, that he he will back a review because he thinks that we need to look at it being devolved down to the clubs. That is new from Richard Scudamore. So I think we need to see that the tide has turned, the tide is continuing to turn, and this government needs to stop wasting time and listen to the fans and put safety first. 
Uh, Rosanna, this is obviously all ahead of, of the parliamentary debate on the 25th of June. I mean, you've obviously done your consultations, you've done your due diligence around safe standing, and as Neil mentions, you've, you've spoken to an awful lot of people now. Do you get any sense yeah. at all, Rosanna, of, of how that debate could go? I mean, what, what the feeling might be amongst the, you know, the, the wider field of politicians that will take part in that debate? I think that um, I, don't, I, I really, really couldn't put any money on what the government are going to say. I think they're going to stick to their same line that they're calling for a review. Um, I think that's what they're going to say. In terms of the general um, mood amongst politicians, I think you know politicians have also been hearing from their fans that this is what they want. Of course, I think there will be some politicians who um, might be sceptical of change, Got to, you know, we have to respect that there are there are different opinions, and that safe standing is a is a topic and a debate that generates a lot of emotion, um, you know, as a result of, of of Hillsborough. And I, my job is to respect everybody's opinion. I've taken everybody's opinion into account when when we've been formulating as a Labour Party, uh, you know, our our policy position. Um, but I think I think the 25th will be very interesting. I don't think we can really call it one way or another. I know I'll be there um, with bells on. I should hope so. Um, you know, putting out the same <laughs> messages. Uh, <laughs> excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed to Rosanna um, and Gareth as well. Thanks uh, so much for having show. me. Thank uh, you. We'll get back on and we'll talk about basically Liverpool are or aren't buying because that's the other thing that we have to do. Good to speak to Rosanna there. Um, yep, please take the time to look into the issue if you can. That would be absolutely fabulous. Uh, it's something that we've been talking about now for, for, for some time. Um, want to move on to talk about the defence. We talked earlier on about what's happening in the attack. Um, it strikes me that one of the things you can do, Gareth, if you can't spend, you know, you can choose to put your budgets in different places. Uh, you know, there's a talk that Liverpool, when they were looking for Fakir, they were also looking at Shakiri, and the theory is that they can't get another absolute big hitter who'd want to come and play for us um, because the front three are so good and, mm. and you're having Fakir anyway and you know you, you can't really handle more than five. That, that's the theory. That's not necessarily knock into it. But what that then turns into is, well, you've got some money to spend. And the only thing I'm looking at is, I just don't know, unless they're already playing for one of our rivals or for a top club, quite who the who your centre-half options are. United spent £40 million last season on Johnny Lindelof. You know, and there's... The, it seems that there's just in general a bit of a crisis of centre-halves worldwide. I was thinking about going down the leagues. Normally you can go, oh, he could do a job, he could mm-hmm. be all right. It's hard to think of anyone who's come to Anfield this season and really impressed you at centre-back. Yeah, I mean, I always think it's mad when when there's a centre-half chat that, that Harry Maguire comes up because it's a bit like, well, he's all right, but he's not like one of the greatest centre-halves you've ever seen. And he looks like he's a big lad. Do you know what I mean? He is a big lad. <laughs> and, and I'm always a bit like... Like we should be aspiring to a lot more, surely, than this fella. But but he's on lists. When people are talking about lists, he seems to be on them. He's on Man like, City's list, supposedly. That's what I mean. So it, it does say there's maybe a bit of a dearth there, and I think maybe that was showing up a little bit on on the transfer committee shows we did as well. You know, I was looking at those lists, and I was thinking, well, there's not loads on here, is there? The, you know, there's the fella at Newcastle that sells. Um, maybe Rafa can do as a bit of a deal there. I've seen a few people making out again. No idea whether there's anything in it. I don't. I don't really care whether there's anything in it now. We'll just. I'll see what happens. But you know, there's loads. Oh, that's a done deal. That's definitely happened. That. Um, these are you know people who may or may not work in KFC and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's not loads kicking around. There's not. There's not absolutely loads. And 
I don't know those, those committee things I thought were interesting in that, in that you got to say, hear what a lot of people's biases around certain players were. But I wonder what you know the biases in in actual at Liverpool at Melwood are because I mean are, are people there sick of Matip or do they think there's still something there? Are, do people there think yeah you know Lovren's got us so far and has improved, but he's still got one in him and he still looks like a fella who mentally can fall off a cliff at times. You know you don't know, do you? It's it's a, it's back to the what we were talking about before about there's almost like there's there's a vacuum in footy that you can never know about which is really annoying and it'd be, <laughs> it'd be boss to go in it and find loads of things out and just be wandering into the street going wow you know what well <laughs> yeah. that's I think there's understood before you have the chat about whether or not Matip's doing your head in or you think Lovren's got one in him Glenn there is a big point to be made which is on both Lovren and Matip you can't say well the, the, the injury record is not isn't great and this is where for Liverpool then again and this is back to trying to I think what we'll end up doing on this show is talking a lot about variables but for the manager there is a there is a variable sort of conversation about whether or not if he does feel as though he needs another centre-back whether or not he's trying to find one who genuinely competes for a, for, for, for a start and place every week or he's trying to find one who just becomes another body with these two and that's it is difficult isn't it for him yeah um I'm trying to obviously it's on the agenda. So I looked up Matip's record this season was was, was pretty bad um, in terms of you know the games that he missed through injury. Lovren's, Lovren, I think it's always been the case with Lovren that, that Lovren's injury record isn't isn't bad. It's just the odd game that he misses out. Um, and to be fair, I think I'm trying to look at look at the last game he missed. Um, he, he was on the bench for the Stoke draw. I'm not. Don't know whether that might have been sandwiched in between. It was the Roma yeah. games, though. Yeah, so the Watford game, he, he wasn't in the squad. Um, so the five nil. Um, so it, it's just the odd games like that, and they've always a bit been around with him, which makes it difficult, especially when I think Van Dijk has only missed a hand like very few since he's been here, and that is difficult to, uh, you know, build up that partnership with you know trying to first choice partnership with Van Dijk. So that never helps. But talking about talking about you know. Lovren having one in him and, and and losing his head. I think is the manager going to judge on you know long term past or is he going to judge on you know what's just happened? And I think Lovren really stepped up in the second half of the season. You know when backs were against the wall. I think you know Lovren pretty much stood up. You know Van Dijk made an error in that City game uh, away from home in the in the Champions League. Lovren, although um, you know Klopp criticised him with the reports, weren't he? The Klopp mm. criticised him for him and Van Dijk for staying too deep. You know Lovren was pretty rock solid in that game um, and then he was the same in the final as well he had a really good second half to the season that just made you think that maybe Lovren and Van Dijk was a was a partnership that could be worked with going forward um, but you probably do need to do need to add to that but that, the manager really likes Clavin doesn't he that, that's always worth remembering um, really likes and really thinks he's a good player and obviously wants to extend his contract the, pro- the problem on it though as well is that you, there's not like a load of lads you know you said before about like you look, you look down the leads but you look at your own club as well and go well we've got this lad coming through and like he could do a job there but we saw that Goodison didn't we that like you scrape away a little bit and there was lads making the debut nearly there who, who never even played you know and, and it's like wow so you know the I think we bigged up the squads a lot and and they did well to get where they got. And, you know, I think we can still present last season as a success. But at the same time, I, I think you, you scrape away a little bit and it still screams reinforcements in a, in a lot of places for it. Um, and, 
like specifically centre half, you don't hear about oh well, is this lad ripping it up at Kirby or does this lad ripping it up for the the under twenty three? So it's a bit. It still feels like to me somewhere that he could go and do some business because, you know, you mentioned Clavin, but I mean he's the wrong he's the wrong end of his career. Obviously, he's a likable fella and he's got a bit of the cult hero about him. Um, injury record around the other two. And then Van Dyke's an absolute belter, and we're all absolutely made up with him. But it, it, it's who's with him, and a who's a backup. And you know, Joe Gomez is another one where we haven't mentioned him. I, I still think you know, longer term, you see him at centre half. Um, although we said that before, and then there was that weird thing where it looked like he bulked up, ready to be a centre half. But then Klopp told him to lose a bit so that he could go and play a fullback again. So it's, I don't know, it's a. It's a it's one that I'm glad I'm not solving. Well, it's one that's in amongst everything else as well. Because one of the things about you know Joe Gomez to play to play centre half is well, so you don't want to want to play right back. Well, if yeah. I don't want to play right back, then are we back in Nathaniel Klein, and he's a player who's just had a year out as well. And and I think it's you know it is it is all these little things. And but my, one of my things with Nathaniel Klein, and it came through when you were all doing your transfer committee shows on tour play, and they are all worth listening to, even though they're, they're funny. But they're all and they're an insight into how these people would work together on a committee. But they're also <laughs> uh, they're also they're also got this thing with them where. It, it sort of it, it presents the problems because one of the things that comes through is well, what do you do about Moreno? And one of the things yeah. that I sort of wonder if he might do is if he you know if he adds a centre back, he can have the idea. Well, I'll add a centre back. Gomez can get a couple of games at centre back maybe, but he can still play right back. I've got Trent. I've got Nathaniel Klein. I could let Moreno go and play Klein left back. We've seen that Klein can play left back for Liverpool and 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 that way keep Klein on the pitch, keep him active. Robertson is playing the role of a left back he's not playing the role of a left wing back he's not playing the role of a left wing or playing left back he plays like a left back and I just sort of wonder Gareth if you know if he can use Klein's versatility there and almost adopt the idea of right that gives that means I am well stocked but I now want to go and get a belt and centre half who genuinely commits and we're strong through the middle of the pitch and I'm compromising this bit yeah maybe I mean I, I think on, on Moreno as well I think you know we we can move them around as fans like pieces on a board and just say oh yeah you know he's this and he's this and he'd be, he'd accept that and all that sort of stuff but I wonder where he is. There's a point it, where he's got to want to be playing football. That's what I'm saying. You know, on his own personal journey right now, he was bombed out for a season for a midfielder <laughs> in Milner. He wasn't very happy about that and I was quite open about that and went and spoke to you know whatever media he did at the time and said so. Uh, gets back in, gets bombed out again. Gets back in and shows the old Moreno, if you like, against Seville. Um, and so you kind of think, all in all, where does this journey come to an end? And could it be this summer? In, in fact, that you know, does he decide I want you know regular football? And does Klopp decide, yeah, I'm happy for you to go and get it? I mean, it, it seems that he's got a thing, Klopp, where if, if someone does go and knock on the door and say that to him, he does just let them go. You know what I mean? As soon as they, as soon as they say the words, I want to go somewhere and have regular football, he goes. Well, the strange thing about Moreno is that I think he was like 1.5 million like euros away from leaving Liverpool because Napoli actually, you know, bid for him and um, you know didn't meet Liverpool's valuation. But that just suggests that you know one, Liverpool were willing to let him go. Two, he wanted to go, mm. and you know then again, what fast forward a few months later and he's playing well for Liverpool in a starting role, isn't he? So yeah, that may be probably one that might could happen, but. Probably need replacing, wouldn't wouldn't he? Um, in well, terms of unless you're going with Neil's plan of Klein switching over, Klein doing bits, gets him playing, Glenn. <sighs> True, and we and he has makeshift. You know, he has put makeshift options in in, in fullback positions before, hasn't he? Um, 
maybe that you know suggests what he thinks of the fullback position, but uh, it could be an option, yeah. But is is Klein? And to be honest, Klein didn't look that great when he came back in the games. But everything's in the context of him being out for him. Mm. Well, I thought he did well at Goodison. I think it's the couple. There's a couple, another couple of ones where he does less well. But I thought he was one of our better performers at Goodison. And as I saw, so that's that's fresh in my mind because you always remember in a derby more than, for instance, West Brom away or something like that. They're the ones that sort of stick with you. But I thought he did all right at Goodison. I don't even know he played at West Brom away, so that might be really harsh. Literally, I can't properly remember West Brom away. Uh, whereas you do remember that. I I am of the view did, with Cla- Clavin play left back. Clavin, Clavin played left he back played well at Everton. Game. Yeah. Well, he did, but he sure to showed the limitations of having yeah, a left no, back. No, exactly. who was very much a centre half. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be rushing to do that one again anytime soon. Even though he was, you know, he was willing. It's fair <laughs> to say uh, he was committed to the cause of beating Everton, which is a good cause to be committed to. I, I think you know, with, I think a lot of this is if we're going to allow, and I think the manager sort of has, and I think we've got to say Trent's grabbed right back, and I think it's now quite difficult. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't really want to see Liverpool line up without Trent at right back. He's, he's going to have the odd bad game. We know that, but. I want him at right back and I don't even want him particularly want him to particularly think even thinking I'd like to get more games in centre mid. I mean, I'm very much of the view that Trent Alexander Arnold has got a decision to make as to whether or not he wants to be a really good centre midfielder or possibly the best right back in the world. And I'd rather, from Liverpool's point of view, he chose to be the best right back in the world in that you can find other really good centre midfielders, but he could be the best right back in the world. And so that means that if I'm Klein, I'm thinking, well, I need to get my game. And, and I'm, if I'm the manager, I'm thinking, well, Klein's good and he's reliable. So how do I keep keep him happy and keep him in the team? And I'm also thinking at some point Moreno gets to, gets to say, I need to go. And I'm also thinking, do I want to spend time buying left backs? <laughs> and well, well Klein, Klein feels to me he's not one you have to worry about too much because after having the time out that he's had out you know he didn't have enough time to prove himself again yeah. if you like and I think he'd be fine but what I mean is in terms of where he is on his journey if you like and if, if clubs are looking or or anything like that I think Liverpool and Klopp are able to say to him listen you know you need to get back on the side uh, prove what level you're at to everyone and, and then we'll look at it again. So, you know, give us six months, give us 12 months, whatever. So I, I think he's all right. I think he's rock solid as someone who's staying. I agree with you on Trent as well, by the way. I think I think the fact that Liverpool have done the business they've done in midfield already and, and seemingly are still looking for more uh, suggests to me that, you know, he, he's sewn up the right there. And, and, and fantastic that he's already stepped in, you know, for England. I think he'll start for England. I think he's going to start. Yeah, I, I think he is as well because you get, you get his debut there. Also, as well, you see him in. I love the clip from the training where it where he's thumping one in, and it's like, Trent, well, this had, is your first ever session, lad. They had them on all the set pieces. England had them on all the set pieces, which also tells you that they had a look at something here and gone, hang on. Yeah. You know, the, the, the fact that they're putting them on set pieces to me on his debut sort of suggests, as right from right wing back suggests, they might be thinking, we'll just go with this, lad. Uh, and if you're Southgate as well, I think almost to pick him, I almost feel like if you're Southgate, if you're picking him, you're playing him in that he should have the summer off. He's he's nineteen. He should have the summer mm. off. But if you decided that you need him in the squad, then I'm almost of the view. And he's done that. Squad, yeah. And he's done that before, hasn't he? Mister, was it was it the under 19s tournament? He pulled out himself, didn't he, Trent? And said, "I, I need this time off because I want to have a good go at getting into the Liverpool team." So you kind of think, yeah, you know. I mean, we had the perhaps even being cynical, the PR thing around about how we found out about who's in the team and all that. But nevertheless, you feel like there's conversations going on even if it was between Klopp and Southgate, for instance, where he goes, well, if you want him, it, it's for him to do something, not just to kick round in Russia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, again, I can see where you're coming from in that. I, I think he goes out there to play. 
and the fact that he, you know, he's done so so confidently already for them, then you know, a good thing. I mean, I wrote I wrote something about that as well. So, you know, just as an aside, saying that you know, while I'm not England's biggest fan, and normally I go into tournaments, I'm just sort of shrugging my shoulders a little bit about watching England, and I'll watch the game, but I'm not particularly bothered either way. I think this time there's there's a little bit of a thing where I'd love for him to do really well. I'd love for him to do really really well and come back to Liverpool flying with his confidence up knowing he's cut it at that level and, and ready to go again and I love <laughs> love the way by the way that he's uh, boxing people off with shirts as well in the meantime oh, fabulous you know, stuff Listen, what a great guy uh, we were going to do goalkeepers but we'll save something for Friday uh, so we've got that coming with you at the Anfield Rap Free Show on Friday if you don't subscribe please do so we do our transfer stuff all the time I'm actually done a transfer review show today there's also our transfer gutter show with Rob Gutman and we're going to be doing regular and by regular, I mean Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday during the group stages shows looking at the World Cup as well. Uh, it's theanfieldapp.com forward slash subscribe if you want to get stuck into all of that. Uh, also, uh, let me thank uh, Dr. Rosena uh, for coming on and spending the time chatting away to us there. Uh, very much appreciated all of that sort of stuff and for coming to speak to us in Liverpool. It was a good conversation uh, and a warm one as well. Thank you very much to Glenn and to Gareth and thank you very much indeed to our partners across the whole of 2018, that is Redbet. Uh, please, if you are going to do a fantasy league thing, do look at theirs. Uh, with its prize pool uh, do sign up at redsbet.com uh, for all of their stuff on that uh, you can find it all on there and as I say the, the Fantasy League prize pool does have is £25,000 uh, so that's been the Anfield Wrap this week uh, see you soon Sports Social Podcast Network